gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. If you're interested in the, the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe, is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. I'm Colleen Sharp, and my co-host is Rachel Miller. And... We're really excited about this episode. We have Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer with us from the Family Discussions podcast through Reform Margins. I hope I'm saying that right. You got it. <laughs> and before I have them kind of introduce, have them introduce themselves and tell um, us a little bit more about the podcast, I want to just give kind of an intro to our topic today. In 1994, I started when I was kind of just learning Reformed theology. I started listening to the White Horse Inn, which was a radio show back in 1994 on Christian radio with Michael Horton and Kim Riddlebarger and Rod Rosenblatt. So, two Reformed guys and a Lutheran. And they would talk about their differences in a very fruitful way. And I really learned from them. A few years later, Rod became part of my family through marriage, and that's um, when I started hanging out at his house, and here my husband and I are the only Reformed people and a bunch of Lutherans, and I learned so much from them and their gracious way in being able to discuss differences, but I feel like we've lost some of that. So, I listened to your podcast right from the beginning, and I was so excited, like, yes, we need something like this, and I told you before we were recording that I just started season three. And I'm going to link in our episode notes, not only where people can find your podcast, but specifically episode one in season three, I'm going to recommend people listen to. Um, and you guys hit some topics that people would probably be like, oh, no, how are they going to address these? And you guys don't even agree with each other, but you demonstrate very well how we can discuss our differences. Right now, you're doing a series on social justice. And boy, I was I've listened to that first episode three times because I thought you guys just really hit so many things that I've been thinking about, the polarization, the labeling, the hostility. 
you said something, it may have been you, Lisa, but I, I'm not sure where you talked about looking at someone with a different view as an enemy, an enemy of Christianity. And of course, you distinguish between essential doctrines of the Christian faith and the gospel, and then these secondary issues. And I, I love what you guys are doing. So just for starters, could each of you share a little bit about yourself, your podcast, and how it started? Marcos, you want to, it was actually, Marcos uh, actually approached me about the idea. So he should probably go first. <laughs> okay. Well, now that I've been called out like that, thank you, Lisa. Um, <laughs> we we <laughs> do that with each other. So proud of the brotherly and sisterly love. <laughs> it's, well, that's really where this, this centers in, right? So uh, Colleen, you've, you've mentioned it. We disagree on uh, a whole variety of uh, especially socio-political issues even some theological issues um but where we find our unity is in our relationship with jesus christ we're bound together by one spirit and that brother sister relationship has to be the primary thing that we're focused on and so that helps us get through some of these disagreements that we have even the ones that make it to air and um i i think you know, where this came from, it started a couple of years ago when a document went out, um, Evangelicals and Social Justice or something like that. Mm -hmm. I, I can't, the statement on social justice. And the the social justice wars were really starting to kick off in a, in a whole new way. Um, and I was seeing the way that within our little corner of Christianity, we were ripping the Reformed Church apart. Either you were in favor or you were against. And if... Um, if you disagree, then you're the enemy. And I'm looking at this happening out there in the blogosphere, on podcasts, stuff like that. And I'm thinking to myself, this cannot be good for the long-term health of the church or our tradition. So I reached out to a handful of people, including Lisa. Lisa was one of the only ones to get back to me. And uh, the, the ask was simply, hey, I'd like to just have a couple phone calls people who are on different sides of the issue and just talk and hear one another. Um, and so we did that a handful of times and uh, basically started thinking, well, what does it look like to have these conversations public? And uh, so it, it was a bit of a, a risk for both of us, but I feel pretty good about the risk so far. It's been um, very helpful, very enlightening for me. Uh, Lisa, I don't know what you want to add to that. I'm sure there's a lot more color to the story than what I just gave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, if you listen to our conversations, there's a whole lot more color. But I think the, you know, the essential ingredient that Marcos has identified is the fact that we are brothers and sisters, we are brother and sister in Christ first. And that has to be the anchor. And I do fear just to kind of ping um, uh, back on what you said, Colleen. Um, and referencing something I said, which of course by now I have I have forgotten, but it it is something that I reiterate it um, from time to time, and that is, you know, when we when we look at the other person as as an enemy of of the cross, that's I mean it's going to go downhill from there. We have to see that brother and sister in Christ as one who is united with us to Jesus Christ. You know, I meant to pull out my copy of Bonhoeffer's Life Together because there's a quote in there that has really anchored me, especially relating to these kind of conversations. And so I'm going to paraphrase it um, because in my maturing age, I don't remember things quite so well. 
the way I used to, but it's it's something like this, that when you look at another brother and sister in Christ, know that you are eternally united to him. And, you know, and so that really, that really needs to anchor the conversations. And even where we disagree, um, to say, okay, I know you're not saying this because you are, you know, you're spurning uh, the gospel, you're undermining the gospel, but it's because you actually do have a heart for the gospel. You actually do have a heart to, you know, to do what's right, to do what's just. And, and it really is, it, it, it's really posturing out of one of first Corinthians um, 13, four to seven, you know, what is love? Love is patient. Love is kind. Um, you know, we don't want to think the worst of the other. And unfortunately, I see just a lot of that happening in our interactions, especially around this topic, you know, especially when we talk about issues of social justice and politics. Did we give you all a chance to, to give a little background of who you are personally? Oh. I uh, want to make sure I didn't like, like buzz out and miss that, you know. Like, okay. Um, but I would like to hear a little bit about about you personally, who you are, okay. and um, in case our audience don't know who you are as well. Okay. Um, I guess I'll go first. Sure, um, please. So I am uh, Melissa Spencer. I live in Roanoke, Virginia. I'm fairly newly married. Uh, not my first marriage, but it is my husband's first marriage. He got much late, uh, married much later in life at 65. So long-term singles, there's always hope. Um and so um, I have worked in the nonprofit sector for many years. I currently am, I actually switched gears uh, from human services to arts and culture. Uh, I'm an executive director for a uh, organization called Local Colors, and we uh, celebrate multicultural diversity and multicultural with an inter- international lens. Um, and I, I have been to seminary. I went to Dallas Theological Seminary. And during that time, my, my theology had already been going more reformed. And about two thirds of the way through is really when I started switching to a very solid reformed um, understanding of the faith. And that was around the time that I um, I transitioned into the PCA. So I've been in the PCA since 2012. I graduated from DTS in 2014 with a THM. And I have, I just, you know, I write, I have a blog called uh, Theo Thoughts. I haven't been writing as much lately. Um, and a lot of that has to do with, you know, with my job. Um, and hopefully I will get back to that. I have uh, published a couple of chapters in books. And the so uh, there was a book put out by um, by pastors of my denomination called Heal Us Emmanuel. And last year, uh, the, the second volume came up called Hear Us Emmanuel. And I have a chapter in that book. I also have another chapter in a book that was produced by um, 
by um, uh, the arm of my denomination that does uh, women's ministries and the publications, and that has to do with women in ministry. And I was able, and and that was a, a chapter that was devoted to the issue of race. Um, and other than that, I, you know, that that's where I am. I um, I try to write. I've been invited to some speaking. Um, gigs and uh but you know the really the the main anchor right now that I have ministry wise going on is the podcast that I do with Marcos and that has really been that has really been a blast and I will say and this I'm just kind of wrapping up here um one of the things that I found through our conversations is a lot of times we look at at each other in terms of where we disagree And what I've learned by just hearing him out, one is to have a better understanding of why he comes to the conclusions that he comes to. And it may, it it really, in my opinion, it enforces the things that we have more in common. Um, And so that's one, that that has been a a very, um, one ways in in which our podcast has been very fruitful from a personal standpoint. So um, I guess I'll share a little bit of my story as well. Um, You know, I am also married. Uh, We've been married for 12 years now. We got married young um, and we have two little girls, which is a blast, uh, 10 and six as of this recording. And um, Really, they're just they're they're a lot of fun. They are stretching me, and that has been uh, quite the journey. And, and it's fun seeing um, each kid be radically different than the other, even though they both came from the same set of parents. I'm not sure how that works, but it worked in our family, um, which makes the parenting journey a lot of fun. But that so that's that's family life. Um, that's where I try and spend as much time as possible. Uh, I am also a pastor. That's really my main lens when it comes to ministry. Um, I, I love podcasting. I love writing. I love doing that. But my first uh, ministry call is to be a pastor. Uh, I pastor in upstate New York. I've been here for a couple of years now. Um, and upstate New York, really, that's the entire state. It's anything that's not New York City. So we're about 90 minutes north of the city. There's a lot more north than us, a lot more upstate than us. But we're still considered upstate. And I, I've been here for a little while. Our church is uh, about 300 years old, which is a lot of fun to be a part of. Um, I am pastoring a church plant out of that. We're connected. It's a, a branch model. And uh, we are almost two years old as a branch. So I get to pastor a church that's 300 and two years old all at once, which is uh, a blast. So that's my main lens that I try and bring to all of these conversations. Um, I'm a pastor first. Um and then, you know, on top of that, I, uh, I have started and, and, well, a few of us started a group called Reform Margins. Uh, this was right out of seminary when uh, some friends and I saw that a lot of the controversial conversations that were happening in the Reform community were all happening without minority and non-white voices included. And we were kind of tired of asking to come to the table and be part of the conversation. So we said, hey, let's just create a platform where it's all people of color speaking to whatever issues we want. We can do a devotional piece. We can do a super controversial political piece. We can do uh, a piece about church history. Whatever folks wanted to write about, they were allowed to do it with minimal editing interference. Um, 
and so we were able to speak to whatever issues we want. Now I've pulled back. Um, I'm still involved. I'm still a little bit behind the scenes. I don't write nearly as much. Um, being a pastor has in a sense, moderated my voice, um, intentionally. So I, I don't want to have something I wrote on reform margins cause pastoral problems for me in an actual local church. Um, because, what happens in the blogosphere and in podcasts is almost like a different reality than what happens in local churches. And I don't want the bad stuff from uh, that virtual reality of blogging to actually impact real people in the pews. And so um, that's a, a balance I'm keeping. I'm trying to strike and trying to keep and it's it's not easy. And I mess that one up all the time. But um, but that's really where where my heart's at is saying, hey, how do we help everyday people in the pews. And the reality is when you go to church, you're most likely sitting next to folks you disagree with on maybe substantial issues. Uh, that's actually most likely the case. And if you wanna go deep in a relationship with one another, you have to be able to have these conversations well and recognize this isn't um, about antagonism. This is about the family sitting down and talking these issues out and, uh, and disagreeing well with one another. So, um, so that's really my, that's how I'm approaching these things. Uh, and it's been, it's been fun. I've always been a little bit of an outsider in the reformed and evangelical worlds, uh, because of some of my views on things. So maybe I'm just used to having to disagree well, but it's been fun getting to do this with someone like Lisa, who is, um, so thoughtful, so careful, and very gracious uh, in her ability to have a conversation. So it's, it's been a blast. And that's that's kind of where I'm coming from. Thank you. Um, I appreciate that. I, I remember when y'all started the Reformed Margins blog, uh, being excited about what you were talking about and, and interested in, in hearing uh, from voices. I, you know, growing up, growing up here in Houston, um, our, our city is um, very diverse. And so the people around us in our community and in our churches may very well come from communities and backgrounds that are very different from what I grew up in. And so it, it is helpful to hear from other voices about their experiences and uh, as hear from other Christians about the differences in how, um, how they've grown up, what they've learned, how they've uh, served Christ in their own cultures and backgrounds. So I really do appreciate uh, both the blog and then especially the podcast that y'all started um, and the interactions that you're, you're sharing with us. Um, what do you think is the reason for why we struggle to discuss our differences? Well, or the reasons? Oh man, I'll come up with a couple. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll bring a couple up and I'll let Lisa uh, get the rest of them. Um, I think that we have uh, bought into our own version of syncretism uh, in the American church, and I think it's a partisan one. Um, I think we have elevated the secondary issues that um, are important, but shouldn't cause division to actually start causing division. Um, and, and so I think there's a whole history to that. I think that there's... Um, if we dive into the history of the American church, I think we find a whole lot of really dark places. Um, and I think they have culminated in some of what we're seeing here. Now, I think we are doing better as an American church than we have in some past eras. That's maybe a different take than some would have. Um, 
you know, when the church was condoning and embracing slavery, I think that was a lot darker period than it is today. Um, but I do think that our inability to think through political or social things from a kingdom biblical lens, but rather through a partisan lens has been a, a major uh, problem for us. I think that's syncretism. And I think that's us bringing the American way of doing debate, the American way of thinking through issues into the church rather than bringing the church's perspective into American culture. Um, and I think that's exacerbated by the prevalence of things like 24-hour news media, social media, things like that. I, uh, speaking as a pastor, I get to talk to my folks for uh, maybe maybe an hour and a half a week. And that's if we have a lot of time together. Ordinarily, it's less than an hour, right? They just get the sermon and they're gone. And yet they can listen to their favorite talking head for five hours a week. That's hard to compete. And so to bring a Christian kingdom perspective to the controversial issues of our day, it, pastors are fighting an uphill battle. Uh, I'm not, I know I'm not the only pastor feeling this. A lot of pastors are feeling this uphill battle. And uh, so media, um, both social media and 24-hour news media has been thoroughly unhelpful for the church trying to tackle these issues well, because I think we just let too much of it in. And I would say, I, I would de definitely agree with that, especially um, with the influence of what we see on social media, what the influence of our, whatever our political persuasion is. And we, you know, we tend to gravitate towards sources that will, you know, that will affirm what we already believe. But here's another thing that I, I think we need to, uh, that that's a factor. One is that we, we take our, as Christians, we take our faith serious and how we form our faith. Um, because everybody's saying, well, I'm reading the Bible, right? Um, how we interpret scripture, how we understand the whole counsel of God, and what that means for how we interact in a complex society. Um, people are going to come to different conclusions, and it's all born out of a seriousness about our faith, because that's that's personal, right? When you think about who we are as Christians, it was because, you know, God called us, uh, God redeemed us through his son, and now we have an obligation for worship, right? Which, which we, you know, we want to do thankfully. Um, but at the same time, we're loath to people who we think are maybe denigrating that faith. And so when you take into account what Marcos is saying in terms of how much, um, how much the American fabric, um, you know, intertwines into the faith and you have this level of seriousness with which people are taking their faith, well, that's going to, uh, you know, decrease our tolerance for people who disagree with us, especially if our faith is being formed a lot by these outside factors. I, I also think because of that, Lisa, everything you just said, I agree with wholeheartedly. We have bought into this idea that pastors ought not be political. Um, I agree wholeheartedly pastors should never be partisan, mm -hmm. but we 
should be involved in equipping our folks to think through these issues from a kingdom lens. And I think that our um, right allergy to partisanship has left us um, unwilling to touch the issues that are deemed political, even though I think the Bible speaks to a lot of these issues. And we're just not willing to go there. And um, I think that's the biggest challenge that we're facing is we have not equipped our folks and we as pastors have not learned how to speak about controversial issues um, without the partisan lens finding itself, you know, getting in the way. So I think that's another thing. I, I think that we have, um, you know, there's that doctrine of the spirituality of the church, which is a, a troubling doctrine in a lot of ways, uh, in my opinion, but I think this is where it shows up even uh, in a subtle way. We just say that's not our problem. Well, our people are living in that world. Even if you hold to a two kingdoms theology that says that the church shouldn't be actively involved in an institutional perspective, your folks are still supposed to be out there in the community. And if we're not equipping them to be in the community and not giving them kingdom tools to deal with these difficult issues, I think there's a piece of our, our disciple making and our discipleship that's missing. I'm glad that you mentioned kind of those secondary issues almost being elevated because I this is something that I have noticed, I think Rachel and I have even experienced, where people are taking secondary issues and they're elevating them almost like they're picking what are their they what they believe are essential doctrines. And you know, you don't get to do that. We have agreed upon essential doctrines, and we've experienced this in um, discussions on men and women. You may know that we've gotten some pretty severe attacks, especially Rachel and Amy Bird, and where they've taken these issues of men and women, and they've almost made them an essential doctrine of the Christian faith, that you believe these things about men and women and some of these issues that we talk about, there are some times where it does, I guess, mess with essential doctrines. We've seen that with like the eternal subordination debate right. that Rachel has done a lot of writing on where we have to say, okay, this is getting a little bit beyond, you know, just a secondary issue. You're now messing with the Trinity. It's, it's, it's a mess out there. We've dealt with it a lot. Um, we don't really hit the topics that you do. I, I would say primarily, I can't think of much else that we've gotten the attacks. But the other thing that that we have seen, too, is you have people on both sides of an argument. And I'll just use the men-women one because that's the one we know. And if you have somebody that's um, that holds to the patriarchy view and we're called feminists and egalitarians. Well, Marcos, I know you would not consider us egalitarians. Nope. Um, <laughs> And, but then, I mean, I've been accused of being egalitarian and I've been accused of being patriarchy, just depending on who is uh, making the <laughs> accusation. Uh, like I same. said, absolutely same. <laughs> I one, one podcast episode, just from the same podcast episode, this is before Rachel was um, my co-host. I was accused of legalism and antinomianism in the same week because of the same podcast episode. And so there's this idea, if you don't line up with my view, then I'm going to automatically accuse you of the other. And one of the things, this is not fruitful. It's, it's just not been fruitful. It's 
it's a mess right now. When we talk about a lot of this, you see the same thing with politics. You see the same thing with the social justice. If you don't line up with my view, then I'm going to just accuse you of the other. I've seen it a lot with the social justice discussions. So how can we talk about these things in a way that is fruitful? Well, I, you know, I think responding to um, everything you guys have been to, I, I have seen a lot of this and, um, you know, I've, I've been so grateful for your voice, for Amy Bird's voice. Um, the way Amy was attacked after her latest book came out was reprehensible. Um, I remember, Rachel, the way you got attacked when your book came out. I read through the book and went, there is absolutely nothing here that would ever indicate that she's a feminist or an egalitarian or any of these things. Um, and this is, this is part of the problem. Words have meanings. There are definitions of things. And I think the only way we can even approximate fruitful conversation is if we understand the definitions of what we're saying. This is why Lisa and I spend a lot of time on the podcast just defining terms, spending whole episodes saying, how do you define this? How do you find that? In season three, we do an episode, okay, define racism and define race. Because if we don't have a clear definition on these words, we're going to speaking past each other once in a while. I mean, or all the time, really. And I think what's been frustrating for me when it comes to this um, debate uh, over women's roles and women's voices, um, I'm watching as a little bit of an outsider because I am an egalitarian. This is one of the theological areas where Lisa and I have a disagreement. Um, I serve in a denomination called the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Uh, we consider this a non-essential. And so we have both egalitarians and complementarians working alongside each other. I serve at a complementarian church. All the other pastors I pastor with in my local church are complementarians. Um, we can have some friendly banter, some friendly back and forth, but none of us are sitting there thinking that we have abandoned the gospel because of our view on women's ordination. And then when I look at the complementarian fight that's happening here, I mean, the ESS thing was one thing that was, uh, I even dipped my toes in the water on that at Reform Margins at one point, because there were some just insane things being said by the ESS camp. But I, I look at this and I just say, how is it that a secondary doctrine is causing people to violate uh, really primary Christian character uh, concerns? I mean, while there can be primary and secondary doctrines, um, the fruit of the spirit is not secondary. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control are not secondary things. That's supposed to be the outflow of the spirit's work in our lives. And the way I've seen these fights happen is we're so focused on the orthodoxy that orthopraxy goes completely out the window. Um, and I think we have to elevate again the importance of Christian character and Christian um, orthopraxy. And I think a, a great way in for me personally is let's define our terms so that we at least know what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, you know, I mean, I, I go to scripture. Um, Second Timothy uh, chapter 2, verses 14 through the end of the the end of the chapter are instructive, but particularly this verse and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Listen, we lose no orthodoxy demonstrating kindness, able to teach patiently enduring evil, 
correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And again, it's, you know, we need to ask ourselves when we, when we see a brother or sister in Christ that we disagree with, we, you know, and, and this is really prevalent in social media where you don't really have the, the benefit of really knowing that person, right? Sometimes we do. And sometimes there've been longstanding interactions, but it's, you know, we're so, we're so what we're wanting to skip over the character. We're wanting to skip over the understanding, skip over the kindness, skip over, you know, how do I demonstrate mercy to this person? And we go straight for the correction. They, they need, we need to straighten them out. How dare they hold that position? And that to me is part of the problem. Um, and again, I know that, you know, platforms, especially like Twitter, don't really lend themselves well to getting that understanding. But at the same time, that ought to really curb our enthusiasm when we, you know, when we see somebody make a statement that kind of makes us, you know, cringe, like, why, why are you saying that? You know, where where are you coming from? And it really is taking a a posture of mercy before judgment. You know, you guys also in that, um, when you were kind of laying the ground for your season three, even talked about the importance of listening to one another. And that is something that I don't see happening very much. So it, it kind of goes like this and I see it on Twitter all the time. I can't even handle Twitter right now, but right away I find out that you don't agree with me. I'm not going to listen to what, why you believe something different. And I think that's one thing you've demonstrated on your podcast. Oh, and you talked about this, Lisa, that, okay, let me listen to why Marcos believes differently than I do. Yes, absolutely. And, and to me, that's a big part because sometimes we are, sometimes it's, it's our misunderstanding. And, and I think that that, when that gets intertwined into the elevation of secondary matters to primary importance, you know, once we've already determined and labeled that person and said, okay, if they, you know, say these words or this phrase or make this statement, then aha, I can just put that person in a box and understand the sum total of what they believe. And a lot of times we really can't. And it's stepping back and just asking the question, am I, okay, I, I hear that this person is saying this about this particular topic, but am I really understanding correctly? Am I understanding, is there more to the story that I, that I need to know? before we're so quick to jump on them. Like, how how dare you uh, make that statement or have that belief? Or tweet that tweet. Or tweet that tweet, <laughs> right. And the screenshotting, oh my gosh, the quote <laughs> tweeting and the screenshotting, my goodness. It's, and it's, it's ugly, you know, because it takes me straight to James chapter four and verse one about the, the you know, why do you quarrel among you? Um, it's, it's worldly, it's fleshly. Um, and it, you know, and I, and, and, and at the same time, I'm thinking, guys, uh, you know, there are non-Christians watching this, it, you know, there's gotta be a better way. More, it should be more troubling to folks. I mean, it's bad enough that we are tarnishing our witness to a watching world this way. Um, Jesus is watching this. Like, are we not? 
thinking about the fact that our Lord can see our Twitter account, can see your Facebook page. Like he's not up there just saying, well, I'm not on social media, so I don't have to worry about it. He can see it. And, and I just, to, to take somebody's entire theology or worse yet, their heart for Jesus and define it for them based on a, a couple hundred characters on Twitter is absolutely asinine. You can't say everything in a tweet. And to judge somebody's full theology based on Twitter and then go to war on Twitter because of it just is, it's thoroughly unhelpful. It's, and it's sub-Christian. And I, I think that, um, frankly, more often than not, and I, I count myself in this, I've, ha- I've had to change the way I approach social media because I was, I was sinning outright in the way that I interacted on social media. Um, I think the Holy Spirit needs to do some work convicting some folks um, the way that he had to convict me and say, hey, um, you can't talk to somebody that way or you can't, more insidious, you can't think about somebody the way you're thinking about them based on their Twitter feed. Um, Because, you know, we might not tweet back, but now we have sinned in our thoughts against that person because of what we've seen. Um, and the way that we have judged them based on their Twitter account. And so there's just so many potholes and ways to fall into sin throughout all of this, that another posture to be able to have these conversations. Well, man, you got to be repenting and seeking forgiveness at every single point, because we're constantly tripping over ourselves to try and do this. Yeah. And I would say, you know, a lot of it is pride also like, you know, where do I, um, have the license to like, oh, well, God has called me to, um, you know, straighten this person out. What about the people? Are there people in that person's life that can speak to them? What about their pastor? You know, we assume that it's our obligation, that it's our duty to straighten somebody out. And it's like, well, what? A, and why would they listen to some unknown person who quote, quote, tweets them? You know, and to me, it's one, it's, it, it can be uh, one undermining the work of the Holy Spirit and undermining the work in the local church. Um, like, like, who are we to think if I don't say something, then that person is going to continue to, you know, to um, continue in their false belief. And I think those are all, you know, really good points about it. You know, one of the things Uh, in my book that I talked about is that I think that we have lost sight of our unity. And you talked before, you mentioned this, Lisa, earlier about seeing what unites us with other people, right? We are Christians. We are brothers and sisters. We are made in the image of God, right? And when we focus on what unites us and less on what divides us, then I think we can have better conversations. And I, I appreciate what you're saying about that. You know, not to get into even even more difficult topics here, but um, what lessons can we take from the challenges of this last year um, uh, in our discussions? We talk about politics, pandemic, social justice, everything that's been on uh, people's um, minds and Twitter and Facebook the last, the last year. What can, what can we learn from what's gone on? Marcos? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. 
Which is what not to say I learn? want you to tell me what you think on all those issues, but <laughs> right. I'm not making anyone go there. Yeah, I ain't <laughs> trying just... to get fired today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he has people to answer to. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, hey, you bring that up. Um, we should have people to answer to. There should be elders and there should be pastors who are willing to call us out um, on our social media accounts. So that's another little aside. There should always be people where uh, we should be in a church that practices church discipline that calls us out on our stuff. Um, but that's another podcast, probably. Um, you know what? What do we learn? I, I think. I think we've learned that we have allowed politics and partisanship to take root in our churches in ways that we had, uh, we thought weren't there. Mm -hmm. I think that what the election exposed, I think that what um, the protesting and the rioting exposed over the, the summer, it exposed that we don't think about these things. We don't have nearly the depth of discipleship that we thought we did. Um, and I think that we have to take a, a, a little bit of a lean back on that and think, what where have we dropped the ball what what have we have we been so focused on um you know uh, making sure that we are you know even in the reform world like i'll i'll look at myself am i so focused on making sure that people can can articulate the truths of reform theology that um i'm not teaching them to think critically and lovingly about what their neighbors are going through um i don't know i got to wrestle with that i i our, our church staff is having this conversation. What have we learned? What are we seeing? And I think one of the things we've seen is that, unfortunately, a lot of Christians in our churches are more American than they are Christians. Mm -hmm. um, and their party means more to them than the fellowship in the local church. And that's heartbreaking. That's difficult. But I think we need to name it for what it is. Um, you know, and I think that we also have to really, we have to think through race and ethnicity um, as current issues, not as things that happened in the past. Mm -hmm. And too many churches talk about things as if they'd happened in the past when they're still really happening right now. No matter what you think about what happened this summer, hopefully we can see that there's a problem. There's something going on here. Um nuance and distinctions between the horror that like the horrible riots I mean, there were they were awful they were wicked and the really important protests even being able to see a, the the difference between the two um we, we we just we can't think critically and i think COVID is part of that like COVID's paralyzed our brain to the extent where we just can't think critically right now um i don't think that the summer happens the way that it did if not for COVID locking us in our homes and making us crazy mm -hmm. um but Man, I think it it exposed a lot of ugliness in the American church that we can we can paper it over and say, well, 2020 is over. The election's over. We don't have to talk about this stuff anymore. Well, in the United States, there's an election every four years. Like it, this ain't going away. I think we got to I think we got to start doing a little bit of soul searching. And I would say, I mean, I definitely agree about the the political aspect. Um, I have, I would have a, a little bit of a pushback on the race issue. Um, I have my go own ahead thoughts. and push. No, I have my own thoughts on that. That's for another. We'll have to have, we'll have <laughs> a, a, 
we'll have to do that on our family discussion podcast. But yeah, and that's not to say that there are, I think we do need to address the issues. I just think that it's, I think Marcos probably elevates it to a place that I wouldn't, that I'll just leave it at that. Um, I don't know if I have a what would we learn. I do have a couple of observations, though. And I absolutely agree with Marcos in terms of how, um, you know, how much we've allowed Americanism to shape our our Christianity. Um, So my observations are, one, once we've done that, what I've learned is that, or what I've observed um, over these last few months is that when people are committed to a particular position, going in and just telling them that they're wrong and why they're wrong is not very fruitful. And it really lends to our, to our disagreements. Um, I, what I've, what I've seen and in, in a way, especially the more extreme examples, um, it actually was very heartbreaking to see such an intense commitment to having a particular individual in office to the extent that you believe whatever it is that opposes him, um, even if that is not sourced in reality. Um, And to see Christians, you know, join in that fight that was you know there there's a reason right we can you know we can look at that and say oh i can't believe that they you know are are thinking clearly but at the same time there's a root problem there there's a root cause that's leading us to put so much stock um and you know in having that commitment and so we're not you're not just gonna knock that away with a few words, you know, with a, with a few tweets. Um, and then my second observation is that we, we need a lot more humility um, just in terms of how our, our faith is formed, uh, particularly, well, I'm going to say our faith is formed, but how does our form faith, how, how are we expected to interact in a complex world? Um, there is a lot, in my opinion, a lot of very prideful posturing um, based on these socio-political commitments. And that's across the board. It's not, you know, I'm going to pick on folks on the left and folks on the right. Once you become so entrenched in, um, you know, in taking this, um, you know, taking this stand and then, you know, slapping the Jesus label on it. Well, we know this is what God wants. And I have to ask, okay, I we have we have scripture. We have the whole counsel of God that was written in a particular context. It's not going to tell us everything. It's going to give us the basis for how we should evaluate um, you know, interacting with God's creation. It's not going to tell us everything. And so for that we need wisdom. We need to learn how to take scripture and look out, look at, look at scripture and look out into the world and ask some questions. And what I've just, what I have observed, and particularly, you know, like Marco said, you had this crazy election on top of COVID, 
you know, and, you know, and we had these protests and everything was happening all at one time, which, you know, based on my view of the sovereignty of God, I, I don't think that that's, you know, coincidental, but it ought to, I think, cause us to step back. Like, am I, how, how should I be, you know, instead of just automatically taking this posture of, I, you know, I know how God sees this, how should, how should I be looking at this? Because look, we look through a glass dimly. We, we can't see everything there is. We are shaped um, a lot of times by our experiences and we have different perspectives and we need to just sit back and ask, you know, and ask these questions like, am I, you know, am I, am I really, am I navigating this faithfully? Yeah, one of the things that, um, I've really witnessed, I appreciate you said we kind of got to step back sometimes. Um, one of the things, at least in my circles, and we all have different people we see, but on social media, I saw kind of one group of people that opposed another group saying, this is how you should vote if you're a Christian, saying um, they were opposing that they were being mocked for not agreeing with them and stuff. But then in reaction, that other group that was opposing that first group started doing the same thing back. And I thought, wait, this isn't the answer either. You know, I agree you were right to push back on that first group and what they were saying, but turning around and doing the same thing back to them isn't the answer either. And I think social media has so much good, but it also has a lot of bad. And I, in the, I've been involved in politics, full disclosure here. Um, but I like to listen to people that I know I don't agree with. And uh, one guy in particular, he's a moderate, but I, I enjoy listening to him. And he's not a Christian. And he, just in the last couple of weeks, was talking about even the same sort of thing on social media that's just not fruitful. And he said, you know, I think that a lot of people used to go to church and they used to talk to each other at church and, and have fruitful conversations. But now people don't do that so much. They go, they go to the internet. And then the internet, it's easier to say ugly things than it is in person. And I've even seen that. Um, that we have a, a Facebook group for Theology Gals. It's got almost 7,000 women. And I even see just on everyday stuff that they're coming to the group for things where like, uh, that's, is there an older woman at church you can talk to? Or um, maybe you could talk to your pastor about that one. And so, Marcus, I think you're right about needing to have some of these conversations at church and with, with your people and teaching them how to think about these things. But just kind of to wrap up, since we're getting close to running out of time, what should our goals be? in discussing these, because I think on social media, it's become very much, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm going to mock you now because you're stupid for believing like you do, and I'm the one that's right and wise and you're foolish and that sort of thing. So, I, I, I've kind of lost sight of what the goal is in some of these discussions, but what should our goals be? And I, I do think we need to go back to having more community in our local church and not thinking that the internet is our community here. You know, I, I think my, my biggest um, 
concern, you know, I think about goals, my biggest concern is that our local churches will become um, battlegrounds for internet wars. Um, That really terrifies me. That we have, like you're saying, we've replaced the local church as the center for these conversations and we've turned to social media for them. And what's actually starting to double back now, where the fights that are happening in virtual reality as uh, what I've started calling it because it is divorced from the real people. You, you see this like avatar of a person online. You don't see them. Um, it's doubling back into our local churches and it's causing strife within our local churches. And that's um, really concerning for me. So I think our goals, they have to be, um, I think personally wrapped up in discipleship. It's got to be about discipleship. It's got to be about coming alongside one another. Like you said, it, the the older coming alongside the younger, the the more seasoned coming alongside the new believer. Um, and we have to be, I mean, there's so many different places I can go with this question. I want to see our churches become uh, really places where Prayer and the study of the word is central. I, th- I just watched um, Sacred Fire last night. It's the, uh, uh, not Sacred Fire, what's it called? The, the, the Lloyd-Jones documentary. Um, and uh, it, was a, it was eye-opening because his focus was, I want to pray and I want to preach. And it's challenging to me. I'm a pastor. I'm not a pundit. Our pastors have to remember who they are. They're called to be pastors. Um, and punditry is attractive because that gets clicks and that gets noticed and that might even get you on conference stages, but it's not the call. The call is to be a pastor and to care for your people. So I think that, that in order for our churches to do this well, our pastors have to do this well. And we also have to have open eyes to what I think is the, the root of all this. Lisa re- referenced a root in one of her answers earlier. The root is demonic. There's demonic activity happening here. And I know we're reformed and I know that it makes people uncomfortable when we go into these conversations about the spiritual world, but it's true. There is a demonic world out there. It's not, you know, people are like, well, the Democrats or the Republicans are destroying the church. No, no, no. These people are attacking our church. No, principalities and powers are attacking the church. And we want to make sure we have an idea of who the real enemy is. And that I think... Maybe because I'm a pastor, it comes back to the pastors for me. We have to have open eyes to the spiritual reality that's around us, to the principalities and powers that would like to devour our people. Um, We have to be people of prayer. We have to be people who are rooted in the scripture. And we have to take discipleship seriously. Um, And and that's really hard. It's been incredibly hard when so many of our churches are virtual right now because of the pandemic. And I think it's it's a playground for the enemy to come in and wreck our people. So my prayer, and and I can just speak to what my goals are. I want to be more faithful in prayer, more rooted in the scriptures. I want to be aware of the spiritual darkness that's attacking our folks. And I want to, I want to come at it with the word. I want to come at it with the gospel. I want to care for people. Um, I think if that, if that remains our goal, no matter what topic we're talking about, it can hopefully keep us from spiraling into um, divisive, uh, angry fighting. Yeah. And I think, you know, just to kind of ping on what he was saying about the demonic um, activity, you know, we know that scripture says that our adversary walks about 
as a roaring lion, lion seeking whom he may devour. And there, you know, listen, we got to we got to take that seriously. And I also think about, you know, what James says in his epistle about the, you know, about the the enticement to sin. You know, we sin when it, you know, it touches on our own lust, right? That whatever that fleshly desire is. And that's where we have to be really on guard about, especially when we're being drawn into a particular direction. And, you know, stepping back and asking, is this really, you know, is, is this tapping into my own lust or is this really something that honors Christ? And so I would say in terms of the overall goal, I'm, you know, I'm drawn to Colossians 128, uh, where Paul says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we present everyone mature in Christ. And he has to be the goal. Our politics is not the goal. Our social justice activity is not the goal. It's submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It is what God has done through him in redeeming his creation. Like we have to always, you know, elevate that. And that means having a focus more on building the body up than tearing it down, um, you know, and, and should, you know, help us how, how we navigate through, through these disagreements. And so it, that really, in my opinion, it, it has to always, always, always come back to that. Yeah, I'd say Lisa okay. was preaching when she said that, but I don't think I'm allowed to say she was preaching on that one. That was good, though. That was good stuff. Rachel knows that I d- in four years, yesterday, I did something that was the first time I, I did it. I made a video with a little bit of a rant in the group because of some contentious topics and the way that some of the women were behaving, talking about this this very thing. And one of the things I said is, there are things that we are called to from scripture and we need to remember those things like pursuing peace. And you guys talked about the fruits of the spirit and we need to spend more time focusing on those things. than we do some of these other things. Well, this was, this was really great. I could talk to you guys all day about this. Um, when I listen to your podcast, I think of everything I want to say. I always say it's a good podcast. If you feel like you're sitting at the table, having a conversation along and you guys do that well. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. You've been very kind to us. And, and it's, you know, I didn't even know you guys were paying attention and listening. So that's encouraging. So thank you so much. Very encouraging. Thank you. And I'm going to link um, their podcast in the episode notes and then also their websites that you guys both mentioned. So people want to check you out. And I do highly recommend listening to that first episode of season three. I mean, go back to the beginning too, but that first episode of season three really dives into this topic um, more. So we'll see you next week.